Father in heaven, we are grateful this morning that we can come into your presence with our Bibles in our hands, knowing that you are about to impart to us a blessing. Father, may our hearts be open to that blessing this morning. And we pray that through the aid and the power of the Holy Spirit, that he would take that blessing and send it home to our hearts, that we may be more and more like Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. You already have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We have soldiered our way through this chapter. There has been much good that we have gained and gleaned. We are in the final stages of concluding our study. We have just two, three more verses to go. And uh, before we get into the new ones this morning, I want to just do a quick flashback of what we have seen thus far. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you will remember, we have uh, found out that it's divided into three sections, verses 1 through 3, as we studied it together. We found that Paul is talking about the supremacy of agape, or this Greek word for love, how it's, it's, it's much greater than the spiritual gifts found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, in verses 4 through 7, uh, Paul identifies or gives us the characteristics of agape. He breaks it down, what it is and what it is not. He spends much of his time describing uh, agape in this part of the chapter. And then in the final part, verses 8 through 13, Paul talks about the permanence of agape and how it will never come to an end. He makes this statement, which we studied a couple of weeks ago, that charity never faileth or charity never ends. It continues to go on. It is one of the three things that will last forever, as we will find in the concluding chapter of this, uh, concluding verse of this chapter. But flashing back to our last study, verses 8 through 10, I want to just read them very quickly here. And then we'll move on. The Bible says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But we know, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be what? Done away. Now, we studied, as we looked at this, we found that the part, or rather the perfect, that which is perfect is come, we find that the only thing or the only person in the Bible who is described as perfect is who? Jesus. So Paul is talking about the coming of Jesus here. When he which is perfect is come, the partial knowledge that we have, the partial experience that we have, Paul tells us will be done away. And so in the last few verses here, Paul begins to make a contrast or a comparison between the present mortal life and the future immortal life. We know in part now, but when that which is imperfect is come, that which is in part will be done away with. And he continues in the next two verses by giving us two examples of the present mortal state and the future in mortal state. What we are experiencing now and what we have to look forward to when that which is perfect is come, when dear Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven. In our time together two weeks ago, I used the example of the candle and the sun that our experience and our knowledge that we have now is like a candle. And the candle in the presence of the sun does not really offer much benefit. 
But when, uh, but when you have that candle in darkness, it is very helpful. We live in a very dark world right now. So the little bit of knowledge and the little bit of experience that we have is vital. It's very helpful. But when Jesus, the son of righteousness, comes, the little bit of knowledge and little bit of experience that we have will pale in insignificance when it's in the presence of the perfect one. So this is what we have to look forward to in the future in mortal state. Now, Paul goes on and he gives the first example here, comparing between the present and the future. In verse 13, Paul says this, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, uh, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, what does Paul say? He says, I put away childish things. Is there a difference between a child and an adult? In terms of knowledge, there's all the difference in the world, really. I mean, there's, there, there's much more knowledge, much more life experience that takes place as you become an adult compared to a child. And Paul is making, using this, this, this analogy, this illustration to compare our experience now to what our experience will be when we get to the kingdom of heaven. What we have right now is, in a sense, child's play. But let me tell you something this morning. It is enough to keep us going. Amen? It is enough to drive us forward to be ready when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven. But I look forward to that time when the childish things will be put away and we will be able to grow and grow and grow in more and more spiritual maturity. Now, this does not mean that as God's people today, that we say, well, if I'm a child in my understanding, I might as well just wait until Jesus comes and then I'll get more knowledge. Right? That's not what Paul is telling us here. Of course we know that we should be studying the Word on a regular basis so that we can gain and glean the knowledge out of the Word of God that, we, uh, that God intends us to have. But what Paul is saying is even the deep study of God's Word that we do now, even the depth of knowledge that I believe God has blessed our church with is still child's play in comparison to what we will learn in the kingdom of heaven. So Paul is comparing here between children and adults. Now, I want to kind of play on this here a little bit this morning because I think there's a lot that can be learned out of this passage of Scripture as Paul compares between childhood and adulthood. You will remember the story in the Gospels when the disciples were bickering amongst themselves about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You remember that story. Jesus to teach the 12 men who would eventually turn the world upside down, to teach them something, he brought a child in amongst them. And what did he say to his disciples? Unless you become as a child, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So there are elements of a child that we would do well as adults to retain. There are elements of a child that we would do well as adults to retain. In fact, Paul continues this vein of thought uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, just the very next chapter, verse 20. He says this, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in what? Malice. In the Greek, that's the word for evil. Howbeit in malice, howbeit in evil, be ye what? Children. But in understanding, he says to be what? To be men. 
So yes, there are elements of a child that we should retain. Uh, and some of those elements uh, include innocence, meekness, humility, honesty, trust, confidence, sincerity, truthfulness, happiness, freedom from worry. Isn't that great when you see children just running around? They, haven't, they don't have a care in the world. They, they know their parents are there, that they'll, they'll feed them, they'll supply their needs, they'll put clothes on their back, they'll put a jacket on them if it gets cold outside, they'll get their raincoat if it rains, whatever it is. They have not a care in the world because mommy and daddy are gonna supply the needs that they have. So, so there are elements that we can retain of this childishness that will enhance and grow our experience with God and will be a witness to the world. Now, I know for me, as a parent, and I think many of you here as parents and grandparents can uh, uh, agree with me that there's a lot that you can learn from watching children uh, about your spiritual life and how you should relate to your heavenly father. There's a lot that we can learn from that. However, there are some things about our children and our grandchildren that we wish were not there, right? You see sometimes these things that happen they blow a gasket, and you think, wow, man, I wish, I, I look forward to the time when they grow out of this kind of thing. But, you know, but as parents and grandparents, the, these types of situations, when we see them in children, we are willing to overlook them because they are what? They're children, and they are immature. Right? We're willing to overlook them. We're willing to, 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 to put up with it, in a sense, because we understand that uh, mentally, they, they don't sometimes have the capacity to control themselves. They're immature. So we look over that. But let me tell you something this morning. Sometimes as adults, we are not much different from children when it comes to our spiritual maturity. And we're very able to see this in the lives of other people, but sometimes it's hard for us to see it in our own lives, in our own lives, the spiritual immaturity. And as easy as it may be to put up with immaturity in a child, when it comes to an adult, whether it be emotional immaturity or spiritual immaturity, when it comes to immaturity in the life of an adult, this is the stuff that causes contention and strife, not only in the family and in the work environment, but also in the church. Are you all with me this morning? We're familiar with this. We've seen it before. In the book, Sons and Daughters of God, page 330, we're told this. We are not always to remain children in our knowledge and experience in spiritual things. We are not always to express ourselves in the language of one who has just received Christ. But our prayers and exhortations are to grow. They are to what? Grow in intelligence as we advance in experience in the truth. They are to grow in intelligence. How do we grow in intelligence? There's really only one way that you can gain intelligence, and that's by learning, right? By educating yourself. 
And the way that we do this spiritually is through studying the Word of God. There's a growth that needs to happen. Yes, we will, the knowledge that we will gain here on this earth is only child's play compared to what it's going to be in heaven. But we still need to be actively involved in spiritual growth and spiritual maturity in our lives. Now, I want to talk a few moments here. We've talked about some of the things that are good in children that we would do well to emulate. Why don't I take a moment here and talk about a few of the things that maybe we would do well to grow out of. Children are oftentimes emotionally unstable and unbalanced. Have you ever seen this before? Yes or no? They are often emotionally unstable and unbalanced. Their feelings are easily hurt. They cry very easily over the littlest of things. And these little things oftentimes can be blown up and become great big issues in their life, right? Child, a child can go from one minute laughing hysterically to just one little thing triggering them, and then they're mourning, and they're weeping, and they're wailing, and gnashing of teeth, right? Have you ever seen that before as a parent and grandparent? Of course you have, right? So there's this, this emotional instability, this vulnerability that children have that sometimes we as adults retain, whether it's emotional, emotionally or spiritually. Now, I wrote this down because I wanted it to come out just the way that it is written here. Emotionally unstable Christians do more harm to the cause of God than they will ever know because they are too selfish and self-centered to take the time to observe how their actions are affecting the cause of God. Is that not true? I'm sure you've seen it before where an adult responds in an emotionally unstable way uh, to a particular situation, and that just vastly affects the church of God and the, the, the mission that God has called us to. We would do well as God's children to grow and to mature out of this. We are advised in the, in the spirit of prophecy to utterly destroy the root of selfishness. To utterly destroy what? The root of selfishness. Was that the root underlying cause of Lucifer's fall, selfishness and pride? Of course it was. We're also told in the spirit of prophecy that there is nothing so hideous in the eyes of God as pride and self-sufficiency. She says, of all things, it is the most hopeless and incurable under human, uh, under human devising. Of course, God can help us with it. But if we try to change ourselves, humanly speaking, there's no way that we can change ourselves when it comes to pride and self-sufficiency. In fact, we read in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where the Bible says that charity is not what? It is not what? It is not provoked. Not the word easily there. It's just, in generally speaking, it is not provoked. It is not provoked by other people's actions, whether they are good actions or wrong actions, charity is not provoked. Charity is stable. It is stable. It has stability within it because it is something of God's devising and not of human devising. We would do well as God's children to grow out of this emotionally unstable and unbalanced state as grown adults. Number two, the next thing that we notice when we look at children, again, just playing off of this development that Paul is talking about here, children love 
to have other people's attention. Is that not true? Have you ever seen that? They're, they're dancing around, they're doing whatever, they, you know, they find something, whatever it is. They, they love to have people's attention. They love to have center stage. Really, when you think about it, oftentimes children are fairly narcissistic about themselves. They really have a high opinion. And we would do well as parents and grandparents to help our children grow out of this because we find in our society today that we live in a society where people are very self-centered on what they are doing, what they are experiencing, how they are feeling. And we find that in the end, it does not bring much happiness, but it actually brings a lot of strife. We would do well to help our children grow out of that, but we would also do well ourselves to grow out of that as well. Many marriages and families and churches are made very unhappy places because of our adult child narcissism, our care about ourselves. Somebody else may be in the eyes of other people viewed with a higher esteem than we are, and so we tend to feel like we are less important or less valued in our church because maybe we didn't get such and such a position or maybe we are not in such and such a place or maybe we've been not praised or brought up front or whatever it may be. This childish narcissism can be at the root of many problems that we have in our spiritual life, and it affects the church. It affects our family. It affects the cause of God. You know, as I think about it, the fact that we are sons and daughters of God should be enough to keep us going. That should be enough of a position for us to be satisfied spiritually. Just the fact that God has adopted me as a son of God or you as a daughter of God, that he valued me enough to send his son down here to this earth to die upon the cross so that I could have the opportunity of eternal life, paid this infinite price to purchase my redemption. That should be enough to satisfy me in my position here on this earth. But we're human and we tend to desire more. But when you think about this, it's really the antithesis of what agape is. Agape is selflessness. The world is selfishness. It's just the direct opposite of what God would have his children to be. In verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, we've read this before. The Bible says, charity vaunteth not itself. It is not what? It's not puffed up. There's no pride within, within charity. Where pride exists, agape does not. So we need to check ourselves every now and then. We need to search down inside of our hearts and ask ourselves, what is the motive behind this feeling, this feeling of, 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 of not good thoughts to other people or other, other situations or whatever it may be? What is the underlying root of this feeling? And we will oftentimes find that this may be what the root is, this pride in our hearts. The third and final thing I'd like to talk about when it comes to children comparing to adults is that children love to be amused and entertained. Is that right? They love to be entertained. They're always in for a party. They're always up for a new toy or a new video game or a new movie or, or whatever it may be. Children are always up for some type of new form of entertainment. In fact, just as quickly as children take the new entertainment, you oftentimes find that the more entertainment you give a child, the more easily they become bored, right? 
Children today, unfortunately, are not satisfied with the simple things. And there are some of you here this morning who are probably twice my age or more, and you remember when you were growing up as a child that there were simple things that brought you pleasure in your life as a child. Today, it takes all kinds of things to keep a child occupied for today's parents. We would do well, again, as parents and grandparents to help our children learn to be satisfied with the simplest of things. But you know, the thought has struck me that we're not much different when it comes to our spiritual lives. That for some of us, we need and we crave spiritual entertainment to keep us going spiritually. We need a fancy sermon on Sabbath morning that's powerful and drives me forward. We need to attend spiritual events that keep me spiritually awake, that entertain me spiritually, to keep me moving forward. We would do well spiritually to become accustomed to being satisfied with the simple thing. The simple devotional life that you have in the morning, that that would keep you going and move you forward in your spiritual life with the Lord. That you wouldn't depend upon spiritual events to keep you going. That you would not become addicted to those kinds of things, but that you would be satisfied with the simple spiritual daily study of God's Word. You know, one of the things that I've noticed that we have done the utmost in our home to avoid when it comes to raising our children is the addiction in the world today to media. Have you seen it before? Just a couple of months ago, uh, I was traveling back from a speaking appointment out in California, and I was sitting in the airport on Sunday morning. I was driving back. I was flying back here, and I was eating my breakfast. And as I was eating my breakfast, this whole herd of kids came in. It was really, I mean, it was like 80-something kids. They came in. They all had the same jackets on. They were probably about, I don't know, 12 or so, uh, 13, 14. And they all sat down on the floor. And I was just sitting there watching them while I was eating my breakfast. And within moments, all the kids, I've got pictures of this, all of the kids were sitting there on their phones, communicating with one another, playing their games or whatever it may be. They're in a crowd of young people, yet they can't communicate with one another unless they have a device. Right? We're, we're in a society today where we have come to the point where we've become media dependent. And you know, you may not have a smartphone in your house or something that you use and that you've become dependent upon. But one thing that I've noticed in my pastoral experience that I've come to pray for and lament is the amount of time that God's people spend in front of their televisions. Now I'm going to go from preaching to meddling here for just a few moments. Is that Okay. The amount of time that God's people spend in front of their televisions, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it one more time as well after this, that we would do well if we have a subscription to satellite or to cable TV, we would do well to cancel that and give that money to the cause of God. You know, the Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 6, that charity or agape rejoices not in what? Rejoices not in lawlessness. Agape in the heart of God's people finds no pleasure in any form of sinful entertainment. They find no pleasure in that. They rejoice not in iniquity, but they rejoice in the 
truth. Sanctify them, the Bible says, through thy truth, thy. You see, the person who has a heart of agape, they find pleasure and excitement and enjoyment out of the study of God's word. They don't find pleasure and excitement out of anything that comes out of Hollywood. We don't have a television in our home. I don't take any pride out of that, but I do it because I don't want my children to become dependent upon it. I don't want my children's mind to be filled with the garbage. Listen, you can't even watch the news today without your mind being polluted with some sinful thing. It doesn't just affect children. It affects us too as adults. There's a time in our spiritual experience where we need to grow in our knowledge and grow in our experience where we wean ourselves off of the things of the world and we become more dependent upon God and his word. Now, I'm gonna take this even one step further because sometimes we get to the point in our spiritual experience where we can't study the word of God unless we're listening to a sermon that somebody else has preached or watching a sermon that somebody else has preached, watching religious television and things like that. Now, I understand there's good that can come out of that, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't participate in that. But we need to grow and mature in our spiritual experience where we get to the point we are not dependent on pre-digested food to keep us going spiritually, but that we can masticate the word of God with our, in our own experience, that we can chew the Bible passage and we can pray through that Bible passage and we can plead with the Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. We need to grow in our spiritual experience where we can wean ourselves off of the pre-digested food and be able to glean the truths of God's word from the Bible in our own personal devotional time. It's a tragedy, a waste of time, I believe, for us to maintain any level of spiritual immaturity. But I praise the Lord that he doesn't leave us to do this on our own, but God is a good parent. And he's willing to help us grow in that maturity and grow in our relationship with him. Let's quickly hasten to the next verse before we close here. Verse 12, the Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. I have to be honest, when I first studied this verse, I really did understand what it was talking about, and I had to wrestle with the Lord on it to really try to get a a good understanding. But there's two words that you need to take notice of, the word then or now and then, those two words. They, They repeat it twice in that passage of Scripture. And in fact, if you wanted to rearrange things, not add new words, but just rearrange things, you could read the verse this way as well. So again, Paul's comparing between now and the future. For now, we see through a glass darkly, or we see through a glass. Now I know in part, but then face to face, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So again, Paul is making this comparison between the now and the then. And we really don't get the impact of this Bible passage because we're not looking at it from the Corinthian mindset. You know, the Corinthians were actually known for making mirrors. The mirror back in the Bible time is not like what we have today. The mirrors that we have in our bathroom give us a fairly good representation of what we look like. They give a good reflection. 
But back in the time of the Corinthians, they made their mirrors out of molten brass. And they would shine and buff that piece of brass until it gave some semblance of a reflection of the person looking into it. But how good of a reflection was that? Not a very good reflection, right? I mean, it would give you some, some, some idea of what you look like, but not a very good reflection. And then he adds this word, this word darkly here. So he's, not only are we seeing through this glass of the Corinthians or this mirror that the Corinthians made, but then he adds the word darkly. And in the Greek, the word means, that it's, it's, it gives the idea of seeing a riddle or something that is obscure or an enigma, which is something that is difficult for somebody to understand. So not only are we looking in a Corinthian mirror, but we're looking into that mirror darkly, and it's something that is difficult for us to understand. As I look into the mirror of the Corinthians, I see a dim representation of God. I have a dim understanding of what he is and what he is like. That's my perspective right now. But when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven, it will be face Face. Let me ask you a question. If you look at your friend in a Corinthian mirror and then you looked right into their face, would there be a difference, yes or no? It'd be all the difference in the world, right? And this is the comparison that Paul's trying to draw here. Less, he said, you look, when you look at God now, you're seeing in a Corinthian mirror. It's a very dim re- representation. It's darkly. It's a riddle. It's an enigma. But as much as, as, as obscured as it might be to see God in that Corinthian mirror, it's enough to drive me to keep going. But he says, when Jesus comes, when that which is perfect is come, it will be like looking straight into the face of your friend. And we will be looking into the face of our friend, our dear friend, Jesus. That'll be a wonderful time, won't it? Yes, we see things dimly right now, but when Jesus comes back, it will be like face to face. Paul goes on in this verse, and he then describes that if we are faithful, as I've mentioned, we will see Jesus face to face without a mirror, without anything, just looking at him. Have you ever thought about what that's going to be like? Have you ever sat and like thought that this afternoon you might want to take that little phrase right there, but then face to face and think about it. What's that going to be like? What's it going to be like to look face to face into Jesus? Look at Jesus' face. It's going to be so wonderful. The dim representation that I see in the Corinthian mirror is driving me towards that, to see him face to face. I love the way the New, uh, the New Living Translation puts this passage. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Let's listen again. It says this. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we shall see everything with what? Perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me how. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture. I mean, the way they translate this here is just, I think it's spot on with what Paul is trying to convey here. And I really want you to take notice of that last part. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. How well does God know you? Let me give you a few passages of Scripture that, 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 that illustrate this for you. Just write them down. Psalms 139, 
verses 1 through 3, the Bible says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and the laying down. In other words, you know where I travel and where I rest at home uh, and, and, and are acquainted with all my ways. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, Before I formed you in the womb, what does the Bible say? I knew you, and before you were born, I sanctified you. Uh, Luke chapter 12 and verse 7, it says, But the very hairs of your head are what? Numbered. I'm giving God a hard job, aren't I? Difficult keeping up with me, I'm sure. Uh, But anyways, God knows the hairs of our head. He knows how many hairs that we have. Psalms 103, verse 14, the Bible says, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. How well does God know you? He knows you so intimately well. He knows you better than you know yourself. And Paul tells us that when that which is perfect is come, when Jesus comes, then I will know everything completely just as God knows me. How? You just can't compare it. What we know now and what we will know then, it's just light years apart. We cannot even begin to fathom in our finite minds what it will be like when we receive this gift of immortality. But I conclude with this thought. As we see here in verses 11 and 12, Paul is comparing between the present mortal state, the childish state, seeing things dimly through a glass, to the future immortal state, then face to face. He's making this comparison between the two. Now our understanding of spiritual things is very dim, but it's enough to keep us going. But when Jesus comes, it will be like looking at our friend face to face instead of through a Corinthian mirror. But here's the thing. Between now and then, those are two words that we've looked at this morning. Between now and then, there is something that has to happen in the heart of God's people. We can get excited about the then, and we should. But let me tell you something this morning. Excitement is not going to get you to the then. Something needs to bridge the gap between now and then. If all that drives you is excitement, if all that drives you is knowledge, you have missed the bridge that connects the now and the then. Go with me in your Bibles to our closing passage, the Gospel of John chapter 13. What is this bridge? John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. The Bible says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Jesus is not saying to love people the way you want to be loved. He's saying to love people the way he has loved you. All the difference in the world between those two things. Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you say the right thing. The bridge if you love one another. That's the bridge between now and then. That development 
of that love towards one another. The way Jesus has loved you unconditionally is the way you ought to love others unconditionally, irrespective of how they may treat you. I'm telling you this morning, this is the message for our church today. This is where we need spiritual development as God's people. We have the truth as far as Bible prophecy goes. God has blessed us with the truth as far as Bible doctrine goes, but that is not enough. There needs to be the heart transformation in our life as well. Listen to this. It's from the book Desire of Ages, page 641. It says this, and when his parting words are fulfilled, what are those parting words? Love one another as I have loved you. When they are what? When they are fulfilled. When we love the world as he has loved it, then for us, his mission is accomplished. When is his mission accomplished? When we what? Love the world the way what? Until that happens, God's mission has not been accomplished. And I fear this morning that some of us are inhibiting God's ability to fulfill his mission in our lives. When we love the world as he has loved it, then for us, his mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven where? What is heaven in our hearts? Heaven in our hearts, in the context of that statement, is loving one another the way Jesus has loved you. That's having heaven in your heart. Now listen, I know this might make some of us have a warm, fuzzy feeling inside of our hearts, but I want to tell you something this morning. This doesn't just come from a warm, fuzzy feeling. This doesn't just come from, amen, pastor, that's the truth. This comes by much prayer and supplication on the, beha- on the behalf of God's people, saying, Lord, give this to me. Forget about the church. Forget about other people in the church. Lord, give this to me. Let it start right here in my heart that I would allow you to accomplish your divinely appointed mission in my life. Notice she doesn't say the mission is to give doctrine. That's important. You've heard me say this before. But what she says is his mission is for us to have love in our hearts the way he has loved the world. That's his mission. Because that, my friends, is the atmosphere of heaven. If we don't have that in our hearts, we will not be happy in heaven. And not only that, we are not safe to take into the kingdom of heaven. So this morning, the hope of the future immortal life hinges upon our present uh, our, upon our present willfulness to allow God to do this heart transformation in our lives. The future immortals, all this wonderful stuff that we looked at this morning, all the future that we have to look forward to, it all hinges upon our willingness to let God do this heart surgery in our lives, to change us so that we have this experience among us. Is that your desire this morning? Lord, give this to me. I can't get it on my own, but Father, I want you to give it to me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've been looking at this quite a bit in the last several months. And Father, we, we crave this experience. We want your, your, your mission for us to be accomplished. 
We want to be fitted for heaven because we have heaven in our hearts. And Father, we understand that this is a work that you want to perform right now, not at the second coming, but right now you want to perform that work. Some of us, Lord, came in here this morning with bitterness in our hearts. Take that away. Some of us came in here this morning with unhappy hearts. Take that away. Some of us came in here this morning, Lord, with bad thoughts about family or friends or church members. Take that away. Help us, Lord, to be more like Jesus. Give us an unconditional love for one another that we may be fitted for the kingdom of heaven. Father, may it start right here in my own heart. And may it start in the heart of each one of us here this morning. This is my prayer because we pray it in the almighty and all-powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.